Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Paul at Corinth, Part 2. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Our last episode was Paul at Corinth, Part 1, posted on April 23rd. In that episode, we learned that Paul considered the full situation at Corinth, so he was not walking in blindly. Notice Paul's means of convincing the Corinthians their need for Christ. To win them for the gospel, he does not try to sound elegant and well-educated to the Corinthians. We learned also that Corinth was in a Christless state of being. Through Paul's witness, they received Christ, supposedly as their Lord and Savior. Then, regress or backslide into their unsaved way of being. In this regard, what is different today? This is still happening, where people seem to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, then regress or, as it is said today, backslide into. To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, Paul at Corinth, Part 1. This week, our final study is titled, Paul at Corinth, Part 2. Our study scripture reads, Now when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. When they opposed him and reviled him, he protested by shaking out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am guiltless. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went to the house of a person named Titus Judas, a Gentile who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. From the book of Acts, chapter 18, verses 5 through 7. Notice in verse 5 what happened to Paul. Paul became wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Have you ever been wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, testifying that Jesus is the Christ? My observation in my part of the world is, outside of the Jesus movement, the answer to that question has been an ever more loud no. Even though there was much going on in the Jesus movement, I doubt, from my observations there too, that people were, quote, wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, end quote, or, as it is known today, the gospel. Yes, people were committed to a much larger degree than they are now, but counter-testimony came from religious leaders that being Quote, wholly absorbed with proclaiming the word, end quote, was a 
bad thing as it resulted in our not being faithful in other social duties. So, in my part of the world at least, we never got wholly absorbed in anything religious and biblical. This is why we need to look at Paul, a known working man making tents. Meaning, Paul was a man of daily work responsibilities and commitments. Yet, he found a way to be so zealous that he completely forgot himself. Observe. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. He was very much grieved in mind, by which is signified the great earnestness of his mind, which was greatly moved, for Paul was so zealous that he completely forgot himself, and with a wonderful courage gave himself to preach Christ. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes Here, in America, if we became this absorbed with testifying of Jesus and his salvation for people, we would be reprimanded for not paying attention to the real things in life such as work. In days gone by, during the Jesus movement, there was some valid concern for good reasons. However, the correct reasoning is supported by Paul, who did not forsake his obligations of his tent-making to others. Yet, he was so zealous that he completely forgot himself, and with a wonderful courage gave himself to preach Christ. One might ask, where is the balance so that the rest of one's life does not suffer a lack of proper attention? Yet, Paul was pressed in spirit by the Holy Spirit, by which he was moved and stirred up to preach the gospel more frequently and more powerfully, for he had not always the same measure of the Spirit, or was not always under the same influence, or else in his own spirit, and so the Arabic version renders it, quote, Grief beset the spirit of Paul, end quote. His soul was filled with trouble and sorrow when he observed the non-repentance and unbelief the contradiction and blasphemy of the greater part of the Jews, and being filled with zeal for their welfare, he continued preaching Christ unto them. The Alexandrian copy and some others, the Vulgate Latin and Syriac versions, instead of, quote, in spirit, end quote, read, quote, in speech, end quote, or, quote, in word, end quote. And the sense is, not that he was straitened, meaning he was not put or brought into difficulties or distress in his speech, and knew not what to say to the Jews, or had not freedom of speech with them, but he was instant in preaching to them, and preached the word more frequently and fervently upon the coming of Silas and Timothy to his assistance. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. This gives us a few things to look at closer. First, we read, 
for he had not always the same measure of the Spirit, or was not always under the same influence. This right here explains why Paul could be faithful to his tent making and still have been so zealous that he completely forgot himself and with a wonderful courage gave himself to preach Christ. Remember, the Corinthians had no respect for life itself. This is why it can be commented of Paul about being of a wonderful courage gave himself to preach Christ to these Corinthians. Of Paul, we also note that his soul was filled with trouble and sorrow when he observed the non-repentance and unbelief, the contradiction and blasphemy of the greater part of the Jews. The question we need to ask today is whether we feel, at the very least, a concern for those around us who are unsaved. Paul was far more beyond concern, as we have just learned. His soul was filled with trouble and sorrow for the Corinthians. Do we feel anything for the unsaved around us today? If we do not, that explains a lot of things here in my part of the world. Paul also was filled with zeal for their welfare, meaning the welfare for the Corinthians. This really is the root of feeling anything for those who are unsaved. Are you filled with a zeal for the welfare of those around you who are unsaved? If not filled, are you in any way concerned for the unsaved around you? So far, if you are not, to any degree, filled with a zeal for the unsaved around you to receive the salvation of Jesus Christ, it is important to note that has to change. Notice what happened. Paul was instant in preaching to them and preached the word more frequently and fluently upon the coming of Silas and Timothy to his assistance. Notice what happened to Paul when Silas and Timothy arrived in Corinth. Paul was instant in preaching to them, meaning the Corinthians. Is there anything today that stimulates you to witnessing to others on any level? Moving on, verse 6 reads, When they opposed him and reviled him, he protested by shaking out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am guiltless. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. He shook his raiment as an expressive act of shaking off the guilt of their condemnation. He shook his raiment to show that he was resolved henceforward to have nothing to do with them, perhaps also to express the fact that God would soon shake them off or reject them. Doddridge, your blood, etc. The guilt of your destruction is your own. You only are the cause of the destruction that is coming upon you. I am clean. I am not to blame for your destruction. 
I have done my duty. The gospel had been fairly offered and deliberately rejected, and Paul was not to blame for their ruin, which he saw was coming upon them. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Again, we have a fair amount to look at. First, the Jews not only opposed Paul, they also reviled him. Paul then protests. He does this by shaking out his clothes. He says also, Your blood be on your own hands. I am guiltless. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. To some, that may seem harsh. However, look at Paul's effort. To start, we know he worked with them at least weekly. This grew in intensity, especially when Silas and Timothy came to his assistance. So, clearly, the reviling of the Corinthians was not for failing to operate in his calling of God. This is where many American Christians I have known have fallen down in disappointment and sadness. However, these people believed the failure was caused by them not doing the witness to others correctly. Otherwise, the people they witnessed to would be saved in Christ. People have even been taught that they are the failing point in their witness instead of what our Bibles are telling us about Paul's experience. This is a spiritual principle that has not changed with time. We modern men and women need to learn that not everyone will value our witness to them and receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, no matter how much we wish them to do so. If a person witnesses to another, and that person witnessed to does not receive Christ, it is not the fault of the one witnessing. It is the decision of the person receiving the witness to receive or deny what they have heard. Paul clearly did not fail. His audience failed to receive his witness. Paul vehemently points this out when he protested by shaking out his clothes and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am guiltless. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. All three statements end with an exclamation point. Although we have tried all possible means, and yet in vain, we must not stop our work, but forsake the rebellious, and go to those that are more obedient. This is the type of speech taken from the Hebrews, by which the means that the Jews are the cause of their own destruction, and as for him, that he is without fault in forsaking them and going to other nations. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes The Apostle seems to allude to Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 4 through 9, signifying that he had discharged his duty as a preacher and so had delivered his own soul from their blood being required at his hands, and that it rested entirely 
on themselves, and they were answerable for all their impenitence, unbelief, and blasphemy. From the New John Gill's Exposition of the Entire Bible. Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 4 through 9, was referenced in that commentary passage. Starting in verse 1 for continuity, it reads, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people, and say to them, Suppose I bring a sword against the land, and the people of the land take one man from their borders and make him their watchman. He sees the sword coming against the land, blows the trumpet, and warns the people. But there is one who hears the sound of the trumpet, yet does not heed the warning. Then the sword comes and sweeps him away. He will be responsible for his own death. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not heed the warning. So he is responsible for himself. If he had heeded the warning, he would have saved his life. But suppose the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people. Then the sword comes and takes one of their lives. He is swept away from this iniquity, but I will hold the watchman accountable for that person's death. As for you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you must warn them on my behalf. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you must certainly die, and you do not warn the wicked about his behavior, the wicked man will die for his iniquity, but I will hold you accountable for his death. But if you warn the wicked man to change his behavior, and he refuses to change, he will die for his iniquity. But you have saved your own life. From Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. To the point of this Ezekiel passage is an interpretation of how Paul responded to the Jewish people he was witnessing to. This passage in Ezekiel explains the three things Paul said to them. Your blood be on your own hands. I am guiltless. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Can you see the analogy of the watchman here? When Paul makes his three exclamations, they are rooted in an understanding of this Ezekiel passage. Paul knows he has done the right thing. Just because the Jewish people he has spoken to have rejected him, clearly does not mean Paul is at fault. A problem that many today deal with incorrectly. That observation is supported by this Ezekiel passage and Paul's actions. The bottom line here is, those who are saved in Christ carry the warning of eternal death in hell. Those who are saved also carry with them a way not to eternally suffer there, but go to heaven eternally. If you are saved, you are a watchman of modern times, even in those days. 
The enemy, Satan, is coming for you with great and grand promises that will never really be realized except in this here and now to buy you into something you would not otherwise buy into. Thus, subverting a person from being saved in Christ. If you are not witnessing, regardless the outcome of your witness, then the silent watchman's fate awaits you. That is not a good thing. Our remaining scripture reads, Then Paul left the synagogue and went to the house of a person named Titus Judas, a Gentile who worshipped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the president of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians who heard about it believed and were baptized. Notice what is happening among the Gentiles in Corinth. Many of the Corinthians who heard about what is happening became believers and were baptized. Then. The Lord said to Paul by a vision in the night, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, because I am with you, and no one will assault you to harm you, because I have many people in this city. So he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. If God spoke to you as he did to Paul, would you hear him? Notice this about verse 9. Be not afraid. Perhaps Paul might have been intimidated by the learning, refinement, and splendor of Corinth, perhaps embarrassed in view of his duty of addressing the rich, the polite, and the great. To this he may allude in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. Now, notice this. Continuing. In such circumstances it pleased God to meet him and disarm his fears. This he did by assuring him of success. The fact that God had much people in that city was employed to remove his apprehensions. The prospect of success in the ministry and the certainty of the presence of God will take away the fear of the rich, the learned, and the great. From Barnes' New Testament Notes Scripture and Commentary tells us of another way we can hear God when he speaks to us directly. The Lord said to Paul by a vision in the night. Have you ever seen a vision presented to you by God? Even today this can happen. However, if you are not expecting it, further, if you believe it cannot happen, then it surely will not. God does speak to us today as he did to Paul. So the question is, do you expect God to speak to you the way he did to Paul? Next week, we will jump to Acts chapter 19 as we examine our study titled, A Riot in Ephesus, Part 1.
Notice Acts chapter 19, verse 23. At that time, a great disturbance took place concerning the way. In this translation of the Bible, the word, quote, way, end quote, is capitalized. Does that flag anything that we should be aware of? We will find out next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. All Bible quotes without a citation are from the New English Translation Free Version. We greatly appreciate our audience. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners, followers, and new listeners. Thank you all so much. We are very pleased to serve a diverse international audience. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. Find our website at https colon forward slash forward slash the church of the unchurched dot o r g. Please type the church of the unchurched as a single word with no hyphens in unchurched. Our Bible tablet, and desktop-compliant website has more information, links to many of our podcast platforms under the podcast menu item. We are found on podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify, to name a few. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays, East Coast Time, USA. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Our RSS feed is syndicated on many popular podcast RSS feed platforms. Find us on a preferred platform to follow us as we continue to grow. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.